Podcast World. What's up? Chad Belding back at you. Another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody podcast. Thank you all so much for the continuous support. It's so awesome to see what's going on with the growth of the brands, the foul life. Brand new episodes airing right now on the Outdoor Channel have been very well received as well as our new duck call line and some of our new apparel lines. And we have our new cookbook that we're getting ready to launch, which is going to be called The Provider Series. That's going to be accompanied by live workshops across the country in different parts of regions and different parts of our United States of America. We're going to talk about hunting and dogs and handling dogs and Traeger and cooking and providing a bounty through those workshops. So be prepared for that. I'm excited as heck about it. Again, thank you all so much for the support of our brands. We can't forget Banded Avery, Avery Sporting Dog and Greenhead Gear. They're rocking right now. We couldn't do it without the help of everybody. This Life Ain't For Everybody podcast today is brought to you by our friends at Ground Auger Solutions. For all of your needs in home and gardening and hunting applications, from tying down your tent to your tarps to getting your mojo pools in the ground, these are an auger-style system that will go into frozen ground, go into ice. They secure it. They don't let the wind blow it over. They keep your equipment from falling over and breaking, and they keep you secure. They keep your house looking better. So check them out, Ground Auger Solutions. They have the word solutions in the brand because that's exactly what it provides, a solution for some of the problems that everyday Americans face with their home, their gardens, their outdoor recreational stuff, and their hunting and fishing excursions. So thank you very much for the support, and please support the partners and and sponsors that support our podcasts and our TV shows. Today's guest is my good buddy out of, I believe, the correct term of kentucky is the bluegrass state that is correct the bluegrass kevin state. brooks is my good friend he lives in kentucky i always see him in nashville welcome kevin well thank you chad i appreciate the opportunity to to be on your podcast and uh you're right i mean it's unfortunate with you being in sparks nevada you and your brother and uh about the only time we get to visit is when you guys are in nashville yeah and it's uh I was talking with Tyler Jordan today. I was talking with Drew Keith. I was talking with a lot of different guys, Waddell and them, and they're all say the same thing. NWTF, more, it's a great branding experience, and our brands get a lot of recognition and a lot of support and growth. We make a little bit of money. We get a big booth, and but mainly it's it's a homecoming. It's a family reunion, right? Well, that's what it is. I mean, there's an opportunity to see people that we don't get a chance to see because uh, we are obviously all busy, especially as much as you travel. And, of course, I'm on the road quite a bit traveling. And what a great time to be able to see these guys. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and it's just one of them things where you probably business-wise, I could find other things to do to make more money in, in, instead of being an NWTF. But I love it because of the people and getting to visit and getting to catch up. And it is. It's like a homecoming and a reunion. And and you just don't want to miss it. It's, it happens once a year in February in Nashville. And Nashville's a great city. You've been coming here a long time? Oh, my goodness. I've, this is my seventh show at the NWTF. But as far as Nashville, Tennessee, I've been coming down here since I'm 54. And I've been coming since I was 16 years old. 16. Yes. My uncles were great musicians. Uh, they played down at Boots Randolph's Bar back when Printer's Alley was hot. And uh, we'd have an opportunity to come down and listen to them play. And uh, I mean, country music's a part of our life. Uh, I mean, you talk about the bluegrass state. You know, Kentucky is the home of, of Bill Monroe. You know, uh, uh, the bluegrass music just is so big in Kentucky, as you very well know. What and, is bluegrass? Well, I mean, I don't mean what is the genre of music, but why, why bluegrass? Why is it termed that? Well, you know, of course, it started right there in Rosine, Kentucky. And, I, you know, the term bluegrass state 
uh, was just played on with with bluegrass music. Uh, I mean, Bill but is, is it called bluegrass in Kentucky because there's an actual something that looks like bluegrass, Kentucky bluegrass? Oh, most definitely. You get up around the horse farms, up around Lexington, and our our grass is is actually in a full summer day. I mean, it has a blue cast to it, and it, it's pretty cool. So that that they nicknamed the state of Kentucky the Bluegrass State because of that and then because Bill Monroe and some of these musicians are there there's a different style, a different way to pick a guitar, a different way that this music is written and composed than there is in a traditional Nashville country music sense so they say hey we're going to term our own and coin our own version of music, we're going to call it Bluegrass and it was born in the state of Kentucky. That's right and most of that uh, music Chad comes out of the Appalachia over in Far East Kentucky where you had a lot of migrant uh, Irish come into that area to work in the coal mines uh, a lot of African Americans uh, with their uh, jazz and soul and what they brought from their country and uh, and all that Irish fiddle the jazz, the blues just all come together uh, to be called bluegrass music. That's pretty slick who's your favorite? Oh absolutely Bill Monroe. Really? Do you like Ricky Skaggs? Oh yes, yes. I've, I've seen Ricky Skaggs and uh I actually been here at the Opry and been backstage with uh, Ricky Skaggs and Vince Gill. And, you know, everybody knows the song Rocky Top. Yeah. Well, my dear friend, Bobby Osborne, uh, performed that. And, and as a matter of fact, all my mandolins that I've built, Bobby has signed the inside of them. I've been to his home, uh, took lessons from him. And it's, it's just a, it's, it's a sound of music that I've always said, you know, people talk about country music being honky-tonk. Well, when you listen to bluegrass music, it's more about the lifestyle, the hardships of, of being in Appalachia and in Kentucky. And, and, and a lot of the lyrics you hear describe that living, right? Oh, absolutely. And what is the, what is the origins of those hardships? Was it because of the way that industrial America was taking place or the westward expansion was taking place from the original colonies coming through that part of the Midwest? Or what? I don't even know if you consider Kentucky the Midwest. It's kind of the South. Yeah. It's still on that line, you know, and then it, what, what were some of the hardships you're referring to? Well, you know, you take a, a family that's coming over from Europe and they're looking for work and obviously the Kentucky coal mines was providing the the industry that you know the explosion uh and they had to have miners and those people were not paid well this was before the days of unions uh they lived in company housing which i've personally seen uh over in east kentucky when we go over and visit uh, our friends and a lot of our family there and the hardships was was simply they weren't paid with with what we know as currency today they were actually played with what they call company money and in return, you had to take that company money and spend at the company store. And so it wasn't like they were getting a, a paycheck like you and I get today. And, uh, you know, a lot of them had a lot of children. The mom stayed at home, and they basically survived out of those mountains, hunting, fishing. You know, um, those people over there are so resourceful. And was, it, was it one of the, the first places of moonshine into the Appalachians? Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, I've, I've seen a few of those steals before. and uh, Have you ever drank it? <laughs> on, on, a, on a few occasions. <laughs> on a few occasions. I've never understood the craze behind it because it's almost too potent. Well, the cra- craze behind it at the time was uh, it was a way to make money. I mean, that's why it started. And, of course, see, it wasn't taxed. And that's why you hear bluegrass songs about the revenues. Uh, you know, they were trying to get the tax off the white lightning and, 
you know, some of the folks, you know, I'll tell you what, that coal mine, and it, it, it'll wear a man down and, and take him down. You know, a guy uh, may be in his mid-40s, but he, he looks like he's 60 or 70 years old from breathing that coal dust or developing black lung or being injured from the ceiling falling, uh, which happened uh, quite a bit back then because there wasn't any safety uh, regulations in place. And they actually, they started making moonshine t- to make money. And what was the, when, when, you, when you start to get into the moonshining process and what, what, what time in, the, in our country's history is this? Is this during Prohibition when a lot of that's going on or is it before that? All the way back to George Washington. So is the term moon? Really? So is the term moonshine, I'm just guessing on this, is that because it was illegal and they did it at night under the moonshine? Oh, absolutely. That's yeah. where they get the term. Yeah, so they wouldn't get caught. You know, you're, you're a moonshiner. Uh, it had to be done at night because, again, you know, the, the states were coming in and trying to uh, tax them. They didn't have a license. Uh, to, to make moonshine so they had to hide by the dark of the night and you know they would go up in those caves uh, and up in the mountains in, in, in East Kentucky and over in Tennessee and, and, and North Carolina and they would make canopies uh, by cutting trees and be able to hide from those people and it, uh, it, was a, I mean, it was a hard way of life of course that's where NASCAR started people don't realize that Kentucky. Oh, running the moonshine out of, oh, really? out of North Carolina, you know, if you if you had a let's say twenty gallon, you you better have a fast car and a good driver because they're watching for you, and that's literally where. Really? Like, oh yeah, Bobby Labonte. Uh, there was a story just done here uh, a while back. I was watching, and that's where it started. Is running those mountains in those fast cars to outrun. No the, way. Yes, sir. Go to out outrun the law. Uh, you know, my my father retired from. Uh, Brown Foreman Distilleries in here, you know, in Louisville, Kentucky, and he worked at Seagram's, and so we've always been had some exposure to that. And some Brown of the stories. Foreman, Brown Foreman's still around. Oh, absolutely. They own, Jack, they own a lot of the big brands. Yeah, they they own a lot of brands, and that's where Dad retired. Of course, Seagram's owned several brands. Of course, they moved out of Kentucky, uh, but you know. If a person is in Kentucky, they need to go do the bourbon tour. I can tell you that. Yeah, and you've got a lot of big ones there. Oh, yeah, we have. And it's even, we talk about the economy. Uh, it's raised the price of white oak timber now because of the barrels. You know, they have to be made out of white oak. Nothing else uh, Nothing else works and ages the whiskey and gives it that golden butterscotch color. Where, do you, where are your roots from in the Kentucky line of family tradition? Are you... Do you have anything in the moonshining that happened, or are you guys woodworkers? I know you have roots in lumber now. You have roots in, in entrepreneurial spirit and business, and you're a very successful man. You and your wife are, are kicking butt in Kentucky, but where did it all start? Are you born and raised there? Are you fifth generation? Where you fit into the tree? Our family actually come out of East Kentucky, uh, and it was I was telling uh, Nicole earlier, um, my mother's side were Boone's, and it's actually documented that our family tree goes all the way back to Daniel Boone and Squire Boone, and it's a, it's a docu- documented trait. Uh, my grandfather come out of uh, part of East Kentucky, and, of course, they, they, they left there to get away from the coal mines. 
and, and, and come in and settle in West Kentucky and start farming. Really? Yeah, yeah. That's that's kind of how the, our family started. And, uh, you know, my, my grandfather retired from American Standard. You're asking about the, the hardware and lumber business. He actually, I have a picture of him inspecting the, the bathtub that went in the White House when JFK was president. He was an inspector at American Standard, which was out of Louisville, Kentucky. So American Standard, the name you see on a bunch of urinals and stuff yeah, around the yeah. country now. Yeah, it was made right there in Louisville, Kentucky. It sure was. It's pretty cool. So what? Where are your root? Where is the the general consensus? Is Kentucky's known for a few things? Yeah. It's the bluegrass. It's the bourbon, and it's Churchill called, Dow's horse racing and college basketball. Yep. Oh, and absolutely. And the biggest of all is the Kentucky Derby. That's probably, right. That's which right. Which is an, I got to go last year for the yeah. first time, and amazing. I, I I got to go to the Oaks on Friday and then watch the running of the Derby on Saturday. And, man, what a freaking atmosphere, man. Oh, it's unbelievable. And, you know, I enjoyed the Friday because it's Susan B. Coleman, and they do the uh, Breast Cancer Awareness Walk. Yeah. And if you're a survivor and your name shows, and, you know, the women are in their beautiful pink uh, dresses and those beautiful hats, and they get to walk around the track and be recognized as a uh, breast cancer survivor, and it's just it's just such a cool experience. And those twin spires, I mean, that is the mark of, of, of Kentucky. And it's um, a very traditional state to where you, you have a lot of national things going on. And, you know, then people think about, well, is there hunting there and fishing there, which is kind of where how we met is through hunting and fishing. And I don't want to get off what Kentucky's known for, but the outdoors in Kentucky is unbelievable from noodling for catfish to bass fishing to big white-tailed deer and a ton of turkeys. And then you got, you know, you got different counties down, you know, close to Missouri and Tennessee border that are, are going to be, you know, known for waterfowl hunting. And, right. and, and then... You have tons and tons of hunters and fishermen that are flooding into Kentucky each year from out of state because it's starting to get a reputation. And then when you get to a place like this, you really start to understand the emphasis that Kentucky has on it because you meet so many people from Kentucky that come into Nashville for NWTF. It, it always blew my mind because when I first started coming here and then I started meeting the Johnsons and the Sam Nattons and then right. you and, and all the guys, I had no idea that Kentucky was so rich in outdoor heritage too. And I think that... As a state, man, you start talking about the Wildcats and Churchill Downs and, and University of Louisville. The NRA's been there. They go, you have unbelievable, like we said, outdoor and recreation. And then on top of that, the the history behind the state is so interesting. From the Civil War to moonshining to, oh, yeah. to you know, everything that we just talked about with, with bourbon and how it all started there and why the bluegrass music. It's just a, it's really rich. It's, a, it's got a rich, rich heritage to it. Well, you know, the state of Kentucky, one thing that you didn't mention, uh, you know, they started doing reclaims on these mines over in East Kentucky. Our elk population. Yeah, the new has, elk population. Oh, my yeah. goodness. It has just been Big fat. elk, too. Oh, What absolutely. do you mean coal mines, though? Is that where, is that where Loretta Lynn's from? Yeah, she, yes, that's correct. That's over in Butcher Hollow. Is she really the, from Kentucky? Oh, absolutely. So that whole movie, Coal Miner's Daughter, was based out of Kentucky. Oh, yes. I watched it last night. Yeah, I mean, it's a fabulous movie, and, and it's right there out of the holler. I mean, you got to see what company housing looked like, and, or replicated, I should say, and, and, and some of the hardships and how people live. So what was happening is, uh, Chad, after they would go in, and, you, and there was a lot of strip mining, where they'd go in and take the top of these mountaintops off. And, and get the coal at the surface because it was a lot cheaper to, to do that than, than, than actually go underground. So the um, uh, Kentucky Fish and Wildlife 
they go in and plant all that native grasses. And of course, our neighbors, uh, neighboring states brought some elk in. And that population is just flourishing. It's bringing new hunters to Kentucky. And it's a great source of revenue in an area that is extremely suppressed financially. Um, you know, we've had a lot of coal mines shut, shut down. down over there. And, you know, we've got some guys who are doing some guiding now. Yeah, doing, doing some, and guiding for elk, huh? Yeah, they're, they're guiding for elk. And uh, it, it's just been a, it's really been a boost for the state. And it also brought back a lot of recognition. Uh, to the state of Kentucky and over in far east Kentucky. You know, I spent a t- tremendous amount of time over there uh, in southeast Kentucky by being on the, uh, the Appalachian Children's Home Board. I've been on that board for 17 years, and we take care of some children that are having a hard time, and it's a great passion of mine. But I've watched that area grow from the outdoors and, and the money that's been put into the state. Which and, is important. I mean, that's, I mean, it's conservation at its finest, and hunters doing what they do. Yes, it is. Where, where does your roots, you know, you, one of the things that you do, you mentioned that you make mandolins and I've yeah. seen some of your work and it's amazing. So Thank you. where does your, your, your grandpa is with American standard yep. retires, but is that where the love of wood comes from? Uh, it, it come more from, uh, a, a cousin, uh, when I would get out of school in Louisville at 15 years old, he'd pick me up the day after school and not bring me back home until the day before school. And we built houses. We cut timber, uh, we farmed, uh, we trimmed out houses. And I just, I always loved working with my hands. And then when Melissa and I moved to Litchfield in 1994 for good, uh, a dear friend of mine uh, who does all the pearl work on a, on a Gibson guitar, he does all, if you see little pearl diamonds on a pool table, that's what he does. And he was building some instruments. And uh, of course, my love of music, uh, because of my family and, and, the, and the tradition of music that we have I would go up there and play on Tuesday night I was playing a guitar and I look around there's only one mandolin player so I started teaching myself how to play and uh, Brian was building some mandolins for Bobby Osborne doing, doing a private label for Bobby and uh, Brian was kind enough to take me under his wing and uh, work with me and I've built nine mandolins now and two of them have been played on the Opry uh, and I just can see there's been specials done uh, on KET uh, public television about Brian's shop and, and what he does and the people that he's helped and the influence in, in bluegrass music and the different styles of mandolins that are built, the different types of wood that you're used and it's just an amazing thing uh, and I've just thoroughly, enjoyed, actually it was my therapy you know, I mean, no different than you. I work hard every day, and I could go up there at the shop at 3.30 in the morning and work. And by the time I got to the office, you know, I mean, I was ready, ready to get my mind on my business that pays my bills. And I just love that. I just love creating. You know, I guess that's where the thing started with uh, the Ground Dogger uh, hunting solutions and the Ground Dogger lawn and garden solutions. And our fishing product was my father... Who, who retired from uh, uh, Brown Foreman, dad was always a, a machinist and welding. And uh, I always had a knack for trying to find a solution to a problem. Well, some of the mandolins that, that I listened to didn't suit my ear. That may suit yours, okay? But there's a tone I was looking for, and that's why I built nine. Uh, you know, I wanted a certain tone in that mandolin, and I used different woods, different tone bars, different configurations, different thicknesses, 
and I, I wanted to produce something that was pleasing to my ear. Now, I'm not a very good player, but, but I enjoy it. But you haven't told me what, how you got to be to where – that's not easy woodwork. That's very advanced woodwork to yeah. be able to, to do what you do with the tolerances and the constrictions and the, everything that goes into – you know, just the cuts, picking the wood. I know you it's a, a testing deal, but using lathes and saws and different. Yeah. So you're working with, you know, different kind of tools. You are, is this because you grew up building the houses where you already knew how to work with wood? Or is this something that you are, you dedicated your time to, to where I'm going to learn how to get precise because build, putting a wall up with sheetrock and it's totally different than building a mandolin or a guitar. And, yeah. and these custom pieces that you build, which are very beautiful, what, where does it start? Like, you're just like, I know that you use it as therapy, but for, you have to have the confidence to even start using your hands like that. Well, and, and it's what it was. I was determined to teach myself how to do it. Again, being tutored by some very great Lutherans. Uh, and, you know, it, it was just something that when I touched it, you know, people don't believe this, but I could take a plate and tap on it, and I would know where to thin it at because it didn't have the right tone, and, and a blank piece of wood, and and those type of things have. Um, it was just a passion, if that, if that makes sense, because my love of music, uh, my my love of working with my hands and and making a product and developing it. Those are the things that I just enjoyed so well that I was determined to. I'm going to figure this out. And it's like, how, you hear that that just came on, that's Leith Lofton yeah. playing live behind us. You've watched him play your guitars. Oh, yes, I And that's got to be the biggest validation is when you see these guys that are producing the kind of music that Leith and these other mandolin players or guitar players can produce off of them, that's got to make you just get giddy, huh? Oh, it does. I just love it. And matter of fact, we built one for your cousin Connie, if you remember that. Yeah. Oh, and then yeah. I had the pleasure of going up and hunting with Clint and, and Clay up in uh, Northern California. And, and that when Connie looked at that guitar and she strummed it there at her home uh, before we went out and just watched her light up. And yeah, that, that that's... That's the love of music, wanting to share and hand that off to your friends and let people appreciate those kind of things. So does that love for that building of that mandolin guitar, Kevin Brooks, does that launch you into what you're doing now with the lumberyards, or does that happen before you start building up? No, I've been in the lumber business uh, since I was 18 years old. Um, You've owned a business or you started it? No, no, I was working in the lumber industry, and then uh, at the age of 28, I partnered with a, uh, two guys down in Litchfield, Kentucky, where I live now, and uh, 10 years later, I was able to buy them out and take sole ownership and expand our business from lumber to electrical and plumbing wholesale cabinets. We got two insulation companies, a metal company, and uh, the, I love business. It's like it's so diverse, and, and, and you got a lumber yard, and you build guitars, and you build you, you build mandolins, and that's kind of all goes together. It all yeah. has one common denominator wood, but then you jump into this new business, the ground auger, which we'll get into, but it's it's like a whole bunch of um, things that make other things better. I, if I don't hear the tone in your guitar, I'm going to build you a better one. If I don't hear the right tone and pitch in your mantle, I'm going to build you a better one. If I think that I can supply you with a better material to build a house with, I'm going to do it better. And then with the home solution, or the ground auger solutions and the gardens and the hunting and all that, it's like you're finding these, you're, you, you become like a, um, a provider of something that 
betters somebody's day or more importantly their experience and that's really what your it sounds to me like your niche is is i'm going to take your experience of playing that guitar and it's going to go up a few levels mandolin up yeah. a few levels hunting up a few levels gardening up a few levels yeah. and i think that maybe that's where the common denominator of your entrepreneurial spirit comes from is how can i make somebody's experience better well, how can I provide a better service? You know, our next step at the lumber yard, and you're going to appreciate this. Uh, uh, we're going to be doing a 3D printing. I have a guy at my office that draws house plans. So if you want your home built, you come in and see us. Well, there's so many people that don't are not visionaries. They they can't see what it's going to look like on a piece of paper. So right now we're investigating the cost of putting in a 3D printer at the office. Where I draw your plans. The next day, run it that night, there will be a 3D printing version of your home where you can take the roof off. You can you can look at what size the bedrooms are and what kind of what the bathroom's gonna look like and this color shingle and 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 again the reason we're doing that, providing a service because some people can't visualize what they want. So how can I make that shopping experience better for them? Let's print their house out. Let them take it home. Let them play with it. Let them make changes on it, you know. And, and I think doing those type of things, you're engaging with your customer and your customer base. Yeah. And you're giving it to where they're going to be a customer for life once you provide that to them and it comes into fruition. That's the goal. Yeah. And then, they cut, you know, that's a slick idea. So at your lumberyard, is this something to where you, you walk in and... and talk to him and say I need three sheets of three eighths inch plywood some masonite some two by fours and then go with a pickup slip drive through a fence and in your in the yard and it gets picked and put in their truck or on their trailer that's exactly how we do it that's uh, like I love that kind of place yeah. I used to work in them I love those kind of places well you understand and you know uh, of course right now we're running close to 23 delivery trucks are you really yeah we uh, we're very blessed we have jobs going on right now in Sevierville Tennessee Cookville Tennessee uh, Cincinnati Ohio Ashland, Kentucky, we're in Bowling Green, Kentucky, Henderson, Kentucky, Glasgow, Kentucky, and and what we're doing is we're, we're, we're supplying uh, materials for federal home loan bank low-income housing units. Really? That's what we're doing. Yeah, my former partners are the largest holders of low-income housing in the state of Kentucky, and uh, we supply everything for them. But, you know, again, you go back to we're providing a better way of life for people where they have, you know, we're working on a deal right now, Chad, and not to get out in the weeds. Uh, it's called Recover Kentucky. We're going to build a 75-bed drug rehab facility in our county. And the, and the plan, the model of that is as they go through recovery, we're also going to be working with a technical center to give them a skill when they leave that matches the need of the manufacturing that goes on in our community. And, uh, and and the great thing about it is it's it's all nonprofit. And I mean, I just giving back to somebody and helping them get a second chance and breathing life back in them and giving them worth and and trying to make their life a better place and, and provide a better living for their family. And you know, those are the things that that are very important to myself uh, and my family. You know, you have to get back and help people again find a solution. You know, if, if you're battling an addiction, we bring you in for a six-month program, and, and we're there to help you fight it, and we're here, there to help you. When you walk out, you're not walking out into the to the river. You're walking out with uh, hopefully a skill and people to support you, and again, it provides labor for our community. And it's one of those things to where it, 
it shows that you're in it for the right reasons because a lot of people could you know look at an entrepreneur that has built what you've built with the revenue stream that it creates 23 delivery trucks a lumberyard that's kicking butt a hunting company that's kicking butt you don't have any responsibility to anybody to no, go sir. give back and build this recovery center you don't you don't nobody has forced you to do this nobody has said hey you're gonna make this much money a year this is a nonprofit that you're doing because you want to give back and that creates you know karma and, and, and it's exactly what I think the foundation of your family being from Kentucky and doing what they did through the the services that they worked in and the way they raised you I think that there's a pretty good theme going on that you're not in it for the money you no. you're in it for the experience and the other thing that I've seen about you and your wife is that you really care to help others get their businesses going to where a lot of times this consensus could be hey you know all focus on us we're gonna freaking go and make our own money and we're not gonna care what other people are doing we're just gonna go 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 and you guys have always taken the time to say hey you know we have an ability to help like what you do for our booth here if it wasn't for you our show is not gonna go off like it does at NWTF so I think there's a lot to be said in the way that somebody interpret something the way they see somebody living their life you have a nice life you have a blessed life but like the video you sent me the other day you're slow dancing with your granddaughter yeah. to music right and you're, yeah. just, and you're just and you're so proud of that so i think that if people want to really understand the true meaning of success and what it takes to get there is think about what you're saying is like in one sentence you're saying i got 23 delivery trucks and i'm making a good living and our lumber yard is doing really well. Now we're adding a big time investment. We're spending a lot of money to bring a 3D printer in. We're gonna make more money and, and provide a better experience for a home builder. And at the same sentence, in the same breath, you're saying, oh, and by the way, we're gonna go and build, you know, Recover Kentucky, and we're gonna help with the drug epidemic and the methamphetamines and the heroin ep epidemic in our country. And Kentucky is very is very inundated with that oh, right now. Oh, there's no question. And so if somebody like Kevin Brooks and his family can come in and say, hey, we don't have to do this. We're here because we care about Kentucky and we want our, our communities to be safer places and healthier places and more secure places. And that is how somebody can take the bull by the horns and supply a service and provide a service to say, hey, I'm not just going to sit on the couch and watch the news and bitch about it. I'm going to get up and do something about it. And that's what providing a solution means. And that's kind of the whole common denominator in all of your business ventures. Well, it is. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, the, the children's home, the board I'm on over in East Kentucky, it's about a four and a half hour trip. We take care of children who have been physically and sexually and mentally abused. And, wow. and, we, and we bring them in and, and they go to school on campus and they get all the right counseling they need. And that way, uh, when they leave, you know, we have some transitional living where they can learn to live on their own. But, you know, it, it's amazing, Chad. All those children want is somebody to love them. Yep. Go up and love on them a little bit, yep. and and tell them about their their self worth, and and uh, these are the these are the things that you can do, and and help overcome the experiences that you've had, and it's that's very very important uh, to me. And again, we were working uh, on that project, and they were running out of housing, so my former partner filed a grant. We've built four brand new, beautiful dorm rooms there on that 157-acre campus to give the children a better place to live, better quality living. They're not there's not eight people in a room anymore. There's there's two people in a room, and they they get their you know it's just an amazing thing. And it, we didn't make any money on that, wow. and, and had no intentions of it. You know, we were delivering it four and a half hours away. 
but when you walk on that campus and you see the experience these children have had and it, and it touches your heart, you understand that, that you have a responsibility to try to help with that. And what can I do when they leave here at 18 years old for them to be able to be successful and give back to help someone else that maybe experience what they, the problems they have? God, I love that. That's it. That's what I love about, about, um, I don't know, this whole mindset that everybody has a story kind of deal, you know, to where I don't know if like I get to tell my story on different platforms and you've seen it grow over the years. Oh my gosh, yes. And I'm able to tell that story, but nobody knows the real me. Nobody ever gets down in the weeds with me of knowing really who I am. I mean, I'm not saying I play a character on The Foul Life, but it's definitely not me 24-7 where I'm sitting in a duck blind or cooking on a Traeger or something. I love all that part of my life, but I think if somebody takes the time to learn and listen to what really goes on behind the scenes, is really important in life and I think that our communities would thrive better if more people started listening more and and learning more about people's stories and where they came from and, and taking influence on that taking inspiration from that figuring out how to mature how to become a sweeter person how to become a more caring provider and a more nurturing person because I think that it's very easy to get lost in life and say Dude, I'm gung-ho. I'm, I'm full bore. I'm going to make it, and I'm going to just keep going and going and going until I make it. And you really don't make it money-wise without getting to where you've gotten. The money doesn't mean shit if you don't have exactly what you're saying and that compassion and that heart. And I think that the, the thing about hearing a story like yours is get there. Find that sanctity. Find where you're at there. And then figure out the reasons you're in it. Is it really just to become a multimillionaire? Or is it to be able to say, I'm helping where I can. And the thing about it is, is that you do it in a humble manner, in a very private manner to where you're not looking for people to go, oh, Kevin, here's a standing ovation for what you do. You're telling me this because this is who you are. This is your makeup. This is your DNA. This is what those Appalachian Mountains and that East Kentucky upbringing and your family roots and your DNA and everything that goes in to the makeup of a person. I think that that's so important to why you're getting success now because the hard work is there but there's also that whole thin line of you know that whole silver lining i should say of compassion and love and care and i think that you show that and it almost comes in a way to where it's hard to accept sometimes because you're so giving and you're almost like well what can we do for kevin and you're never asking for anything you're always like well what can i help with what can i help with i'm talking about from filming a video to pouring coffee to freaking building a guitar you know so i think that what you're doing is why you've developed the network and have all the friends that you have and that why you're always wanted around everybody in this in this industry here that's the only industry i know you in and i think that that really speaks heavily of who you are and the upbringing that you had and i don't i don't i'm not telling you that for you to go well thanks chad that means i'm telling you that is that people need to hear stories like kevin brooks and be able to to say hey i need to work on in these areas i'm going to do this and you're no by you're by far no means perfect no, absolutely not. But you know, one thing I've watched you do, and people don't see this. I mean, you've invited me into your home. I stayed at your house, uh, and you were out of town. You know, when we went up and done the TV show. But what people don't see out of Chad Belding is the giving and the and the love for the industry, and how do we develop getting young young kids involved in hunting and make sure we keep them off the street? How do we uh, work on conservation? How do we how do we take this industry and, and where people, it's not about going and shooting a dog. No. 
Okay? Not at it's all. not. It's about being with your friends. It's about the experiences. It's about again about conservation and just enjoying the company. And you and you and Clay and Clay, you all have such a passion for it. Somebody asked me earlier, it was a friend of mine from Kentucky. He said, How how did you get to know these boys? And I said, It was seven years ago. And I said, I, I was introduced to them, and I said, these two guys have become my brothers. I said, I can call Chad Clay. I can call Tom Rashing, and they'll do anything they can to help me. We have a brothership and a brotherhood because our goal is to help someone else. You've helped me tremendously, made phone calls, and, 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 I, and we don't talk about those things, Chad. You know why? Because we do it because we care for each other. We want to give back. You've been blessed. I've been blessed. And people always talk about success money, and you made such a valid point. I always, and I'll never forget this, and I, like I said, I don't want to get out in the, in the weeds. My grandmother, who was 93 years old, we used to tease her all the time and say, Mama, what would you do if you won the lottery? And this is her comment. Well, honey, I've got everything I need. My family is healthy. I got a house. I would go find some poor little child or some poor family, and I'd just buy them what they needed, and then I'd find me another one. She said, I'd go out to my garden, get me some onions and tomatoes, and we always have beans and cornbread on the stove. Our house is warm. I, I don't need that money. She I love that. And she and that's how she... That's how you live, too. That's how... That's, that's, that was instilled in us by our grandparents and, and our parents. You know, my father has an eighth-grade education and retired from Brown Foreman and actually developed a product for their conveyor line that saved them over $1.3 million. This man has an eighth-grade education, can barely read, but he, he, he was innovative. Wow. Yeah, and they give him. And when he retired, he got some uh, extra uh, Brown Foreman A stock, and you know they they rewarded Dad. But those are just kind of the things that that we do. That is so freaking cool, man. I think what your grandma's quote was is exactly how you do it, buddy. I think I think that's exactly why the success comes is because of that upbringing of of being around people like that. I don't know, man. I just I want to do this. I just this is really hard for me to to not have me and you over there listening to a song because we love this so much. Oh, yes, we do. I think, I think this is what we do. I, I want to do a show this year wrapped around this entire what we just talked about. I want to document the Lumberyard. I want to document the solutions in Ground Auger. I want to document the Recovering Kentucky. Oh, I want to yes. talk about all this and show what is going on with the heart of a hunter and the compassion that what we show for people in animals and habitat and conservation and just tell that Kevin Brooks story, that Brooks family story, and really get in the weeds. We don't even have to do the hunt in Kentucky per se, but we might. We just have to figure out, you know, Broward County or was Dukes a hazard from Kentucky? That's hazard, right? Well, that's, that's Tennessee. It, that's that, theirs was in, actually theirs was in, if I'm mistaken, Georgia. 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 Hazard County, Georgia. Yeah. yeah. But let's do that. Let's talk about that this, you know, going into the spring and summer and figuring to. get something planned. All right, I love the story. I just, I just feel like it deserves more than what we're giving it right now, and that's what I'm learning by sitting down with you. Of like, wow, there's a lot of freaking moving parts to this, and I want to document it in a way that tells it because I'm intrigued by it, and I want to show the world what people are doing that we never hear about because they're not on Oprah or or right. or one of these talk shows that get to go and talk or in People Magazine or whatever. There's a lot of cool shit going on in our country that I feel blessed to know about because of hunting in a mallard duck. Oh, yeah. Let's go listen to Lead Loft and have a cold beer, and we'll continue this conversation soon on part two to Kevin Brooks. Ground Auger Solutions, thank you so much for the support. Check out 
all of their gear at Kevin. Is it groundaugersolutions.com? Groundauger.com. Groundauger.com. You can find them in a bunch of retailers across the country. We're proud of our partnership. I love my man Kevin Brooks, his wife. Everybody in their family is awesome. We're going to go document a story on season 13 of The Foul Life coming up in 2021. You're going to see the Kevin Brooks story unfold. But we're going to have part two of This Life Ain't For Everybody podcast with Mr. Kevin Brooks when both of us can hear a little bit better and we don't have the anticipation of getting up and seeing Leith Lofton sing a song. Listen to that right there. I hope y'all can hear that. Tom, hit that button. We're going to leave you with Drake White and Leith Lofton's rendition. Or it's actually, they wrote this song. This is Leith Lofton's rendition of what you're going to do when the money's all gone. Kevin, thank you very much. Thank you, Chad. Appreciate it. All right, brother. What you're going to do when the money's all gone? I'd rather be poor living off in a hole than rich as hell without a soul. Life on earth won't last that long What you gonna do when the money's all gone? Say life on earth won't last that long What you gonna do when the money's all gone?